John chapter 10, starting in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from the Father. Now turn to our Old Testament text this morning, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we seek your face this morning. We seek your truth. Please open this passage up to our, not only to our minds and to our ears, but to our hearts, that it would shape us and fashion us, that we would be conformed to the image of Christ, that we would have confidence in you, our shepherd, that we would have a faith that overcomes this world because it is a faith placed in you. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. 
As we're going through the Psalms, we started last week with Psalm 1, a psalm of wisdom. And the next psalm we're looking at here is sometimes called a song of confidence, placing confidence in the Lord. This was written by a man, David, as we see in the inscription there, but it's inspired by God. It is something for us to use. Not only is it something for us to use, but something to shape us. This is the, the sometimes called the hymn book or the song book of Israel, and this is our hymn book and our song book as well. And so we may pray these prayers and sing these songs. This particular psalm is probably the most well-known psalm, maybe the most well-known piece of poetry in all of history. In fact, I wager that a good number of you have this memorized. I think I had this memorized before I even understood that first line, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, why won't I want him? That's not what it means. <laughs> but that just speaks to the ubiquity of it. Everybody has heard this. Even if you've never been in a church before, you've heard it in a TV show or a movie or a song. Because of that familiarity, we sometimes lose its power. But it's so familiar because it is powerful. It has great purpose. And it should be memorized. It should be remembered. There are three statements that look to the future in this. These I will statements. They come at the beginning, in the middle, in the end. We have all this beautiful imagery, this, this metaphor. But at the beginning we see this I shall not want. It can be easy to say something like, the Lord is my shepherd. How hard is it for us to say, I shall not want? Verse 4, something similar, says, I will not fear. Right? It says, I will fear no evil. And towards the end, it talks about the future. It says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It can be easy for us to say with confidence, oh, God is good. God is my shepherd. But can we say this psalm in confidence, looking to the future, these future statements? I will not want. I will fear no evil. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. This is the attitude that the text is calling us to emulate. An unwavering confidence, not in good things, but in God, the God who provides good things. This is an unwavering faith. Oftentimes, those future tense phrases, I will not want, I will fear no evil, those phrases catch in our throat as we're saying this psalm, because we don't fully believe them in that moment. There is perhaps something in your experience of this fallen world that causes you to doubt. Or perhaps you're expecting more than really these things are promising. The text itself gives us grounding. It gives us grounding for that hope for that confidence in the Lord. 
For every future hope, it gives us a present reality that it is rooted in. Something that the Lord has done, something that the Lord is doing, something that the Lord is to us. And so there's not just this, this empty, got to think positive, got to think good things will happen. No, look at who the Lord is. Look at what the Lord has done and what the Lord is doing. And tell me, tell me that things aren't going to be okay. How can you look at this God and tell me that you're going to be in some desperate want that you won't have what you need in the end? How can you look at this God and tell me that there is some evil worth fearing? I hope in walking through this together that you will grow in your confidence in the Lord, your trust and your faith in him. Because if you are in Christ, you can trust the Lord to care for you. Because he has given us a relationship with himself. He has given his presence. And he is preparing a home for us. Where we will be with him forever. We'll look at those three things as we walk through his relationship with us. His presence with us. And his preparation for us. In verses 1 through 3, we begin this metaphor of a shepherd and his sheep. This is the predominant image. It does change toward the end, but this is the predominant image of the psalm. The shepherd and his sheep. And it starts out calling him the shepherd and us the sheep. It establishes a relationship between us and God. The very first words here we read, the Lord. If you look in your Bible in your text, you'll see that the Lord is all capitalized, every single letter of it. And that's because it's not the word Adonai or Lord. This is the divine name of God. This says in the Hebrew, Yahweh. This is the Lord's covenant personal name. There were many kings and gods in the ancient Near East that called themselves shepherds. A shepherd is one who would protect and looked after the flock, would provide for them. And so there, you may have heard of the king Hammurabi. He called himself a shepherd. There were other gods that were referred to as shepherds. But you know, in the lived life, people want things and need things, and things don't go as planned. And so when people say, well, yeah, Hammurabi's the shepherd, but you know what? Things aren't turning out so well. This, this false god's a shepherd, but you know what? This isn't, this isn't what was promised. What we see here in the confidence of David is, well, you can look to dead idols or you can look to men, but Yahweh is my shepherd. And that is the reason that I will not want. The true and living God, the creator of all things, the one who has entered into a covenantal relationship with his people and who has promised good things, is my shepherd, and I shall not want. This is not confidence that everything is just going to work out. It is confidence in the God who has established a relationship with us. The Lord is my shepherd. The shepherd protects and provides for the sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. This is not a team effort. It's not a, a team uh, game. 
We don't have an image of, uh, of the wolf coming to the flock and then the shepherd going to fight and the sheep stand up and say, all right, shepherd, I got your back. We're going to take this side, you take that side. No, the sheep are scared and defenseless. The shepherd does the work. He does the providing. He does the protecting. He is my shepherd. Our peace is that our provision is in his hands. It is not that I have to work hard enough, that I have to make sure that this will work out in the future, that I will make my eternal life happen, but that my shepherd, my shepherd is the provider. My shepherd is the protector. And David's conclusion to saying that the Lord is my shepherd, he says, I shall not want. That is, I shall not be in want. I shall not lack anything that I truly need. There's a tension here that you may feel in your heart between doubting God's provision and coming to what people call an over-realized eschatology. So that's a couple of big words that eschatology just means looking to the end times. There's a promised end times. God says that these things will happen. You will have, there will be no tears. There will be no death. There will be no pain. And it will, it'll be God living with us. That is, the, that is the eschatology. That is what we're looking forward to. And an over-realized Eschatology means that we're expecting those future things right now. We're saying, well, if I, if I, you know, if you're, there, there should be no pain, there should be no sickness. You should be able to have a perfect, absolutely perfect, happy life right now because of what Jesus has promised. That's what we call an over-realized eschatology. But on the other end of this promise, you may say, like, I'm having trouble with my bills. You know what? I, I've, been to the, I, I've been into the doctor every week, and, and things are not good. Things I don't feel, I, I feel like I want. I feel like I lack. So there's this desire to doubt God's provision. What we see here is that the text is optimistic but it is not naive. Because this is, after all, a psalm of David. If you remember David's story, he was promised to be king. He was anointed by Samuel on his head. You're, you're going to be king. And what happens to David after he's anointed to be king? He has assassination attempts on his life. He has to flee his home. He has to run into the mountains and wilderness. He is homeless, living in caves. And yet he cries out to the Lord, and he praises him with confidence and says, The Lord is my shepherd. I will not want. I will not lack. In the moment, this is extremely difficult. But as we see, God brought him out of that. God brought him through. He did not lack. In the end, he did not want. 
Following this, we see a series of lines that, sheer, that show clearly how the Lord shows that he is a shepherd. These are the ways that God has shown to be my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He gives me food. He gives me the sustenance that I need to eat. I don't have to go into, into the briars and thorns to get it. I don't have to go on a steep, uh, rocky hill to get it. I am led to green pastures. He makes me to lie down there. He leads me beside still waters. We need food and we need drink to survive. These are what he needs to live to be, to, to have life in himself. He leads him to still waters, to safe water, to water where he can leisurely drink as he needs it. He doesn't have to get as much as he can and go. This is still water, a peaceful place. He restores my soul. Now, these two lines, he restores my little soul and he leads me to paths of righteousness. In terms of this metaphor, we're talking about an earthly image, and we'll get to the spiritual reality afterwards. But the earthly image here is he, is, he relies my physical life. He restores my soul. He brings me back uh, to life. We see this same word spoken to Ruth when her... Uh, grandson is born Obed. The women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher in your old age. Remember, Ruth was, was poor and desperate. She, she, she wasn't physically dead or anything, but she didn't have a future. She didn't have anything to really call her own and yet this this young man is going to grow up and protect and provide for her he restores her life and that's what the lord does for us that's what he does for his sheep if the sheep is is sick he he gives it medicine he nurses it back to health he restores its life if the sheep is being attacked he defends it he restores its life He leads me in paths of righteousness. In terms of sheep and a shepherd, this means he takes me on the right paths. If we need to go to that pasture, he takes me on the correct road there. He doesn't take me over here to the dangerous places. He doesn't take me to the wrong road, to the wrong place. He takes me on the right path to go where we need to go, where we ought to go, where it's good for me to go. He leads me on the right path. And he does all of this for his name's sake. This may be the most comforting line that we've seen so far. He does it for his name's sake. He has tied himself to you in a relationship, in a covenant promise that he is your shepherd and you are his sheep. He has bound us together and that his name is on the line if he does not uphold his position as your shepherd. He will care for you because a good shepherd will care for his sheep, and he is the good shepherd. No one will call him the bad shepherd. No one will call him a hireling. He will provide for you and protect you. 
because of his name's sake, because of his own honor. And the reason that this is comforting to us is because it's not based on your ability. It's not based on your goodness. It's not based on your having a great enough coat as or a wool as a sheep. It's not based on your uh, sheeply athletic ability or spirituality. But if God is in a covenant relationship with you and he is your shepherd, he will protect you and he will provide for you, not because of anything that you have done, to make yourself good enough, but for his own name's sake. There's nothing you can do to break that. There's nothing that you can do to make the good shepherd a bad shepherd. He does it for his own name's sake. He will care for you no matter what. This metaphor continues through verse 4. But the attitude shifts from I shall not want to I will not fear. But what have we seen in this first three verses? We see that I will not want because he's my shepherd. Look at all the things that he has done for me. Look at all the blessings that are in my life. Look at how the Lord has already provided for me. Look at this relationship that we have together. Surely I will not want. And so he continues on in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Here again we see that this is not naive optimism. Right? He's not saying, well, because God is my shepherd, I'll not have to do anything difficult. I won't have to do anything scary. Nothing, nothing bad will ever happen to me. No. I will fear no evil. Even though there's evil there, even though it's so close to me that I'm standing in its shadow, I will fear no evil because God is present with me. This starts out with the first person, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Doesn't that make it sound much scarier, much more alone, much more dangerous, even though I am walking through the valley of the shadow of death. That's what it feels like when we're living this in real life. It may sometimes feel as though we're alone when true terrors rear their heads in our lives, when true despair arises. It may feel like we're alone. So we're in a valley, a very low place. And it calls this the shadow of death. The valley of the shadow of death. As though the mountain hovering over us is death itself and it casts its shadow on us. We're so close to death that we're standing in its shadow. And this word for the shadow of death is also in Isaiah 9-2. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, that's that same word, on them has light shone. When this word comes up, it is just a pitch black image. It has connotations of despair and the imminence of death in our lives. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil. There are evils around us. What are the evils that plague your mind? What loss is it that causes you to fear and have anxiety? This whole life is a dark valley. Day by day, we walk closer to death. Yet, Christians can say, I will fear no evil. How counterintuitive. How can this possibly be? You know what, what, what can happen to you, right? How can you possibly say that you're not afraid? Don't you care? Don't you care what's going to happen? The next line reveals, for you are with me. It changes to talking to, to God, second person. It's been talking about him in the third person, talking to you. Listen, look at how great my God is. Look at how good God is. And then he's switching to a prayer directly to God. I will not be afraid, Lord, because you are with me. I know that you are present with me. How can I be afraid if the God who has created all things, who sustains all things, who is all-powerful, is present with me? He directly addresses the Lord. I will fear no evil because you are with me. And he addresses... Further, he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod is what a shepherd uses when a wolf comes to take his sheep. He stands up to the wolf and he beats it back. That is his weapon to protect. And we know that David used weapons to protect his sheep. He killed a lion, he killed a bear. He was a good shepherd. He knows what it takes to be a good shepherd. The rod is a comfort to the sheep because it protects them says, your staff comforts me. This is the tool that the shepherd uses to guide his sheep on the path because we will go this way and that way. But he guides us back onto the right path. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. God is a powerful, compassionate shepherd. Just a, a side note on this. It has been often taught, and I have taught this, that the rod is used sometimes to break the sheep's leg. If you've heard this, I actually done some research, and that's not true. It is factually inaccurate. There's no shepherd that does that today. There's no record in all of history of any shepherds anywhere doing this. This originated in a sermon in 1957, and it is a pulpit urban legend that has just been repeated over and over and over again because it's useful. But that is not what this text is talking about. The rod beats the wolf. The staff guides the sheep. This is our compassionate Lord and Savior. That is the image that we see in Psalm 23. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so why should we fear? Why should we fear? We can say with confidence... If the Lord is my shepherd, I, I'm not going to want because he provides for me. If the Lord is truly present with me, do I truly believe that the Lord is present with me? 
So then what fear can I possibly have? The last hope, the last confidence in proclamation comes in verses 5 and 6. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It is in these verses that the metaphor switches. It's no longer a sheep and a shepherd, but there's a, there's a host setting a table. This is a pretty starkly different image because sheep at a table don't usually feel comfortable. But it's a very important switch in imagery. The promise here that we're looking forward to is that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a really big promise. That's a really big confidence to have. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our days walking through this life are like walking through a dark valley. We're sheep and we don't know what's best for us, but we have a shepherd. But looking to the future, what God has promised in the future, we know that we will be welcomed into the house of the Lord that we will not be in the place that we are as we see it, as we experience it, but we will live in a perfect world, no longer sheep per se, but sons and daughters sitting around a table in the Lord's house. In modern poetry, you're not really allowed to mix metaphors like this. People frown on that. But it serves a very important purpose because we see an entire world shifting. It is a different image. It's completely different. We're going to be living in a, in a different new world, in a different new heaven and earth. Things are going to be very, very different. And so a stark image change is very significant and important. Jesus makes a similar promise in John 14. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. These are the words of Christ to his disciples. He is preparing a place for you if you are in Christ. A table, a feast set out before you for enjoyment, for celebration, for welcome. He says, in the presence of my enemies, he prepares it. Christ is preparing a place for us right now, and yet here we are in the presence of disaster and turmoil and enemies. And yet when he comes back and he brings us there, he will not be ashamed of you. He will do it to their faces. He will show his great love and mercy to you, to their faces. 
Can we really say the same? Remember, as Peter was given the opportunity to give his allegiance to Christ in the face of his enemies, he denied Christ three times. Yet Christ, in the presence of our enemies, will not falter. He prepares a table for us, no matter who's watching. The text says, you anoint my head with oil. This is a gesture of welcoming a, an esteemed guest. This is the guest of honor, getting olive oil put on his head. I am welcomed. I am welcomed by the Lord God Almighty. I'm not just let in. I'm not let in through the doggy door. I'm not, I'm not in the servants' quarters. Uh, he anoints my head with oil. I am a guest, a guest of honor in his sight. My cup overflows. I'm, I'm not having to, to sip gingerly to, to make sure that you know my cup isn't empty or you know to try to ration it out my cup is so full it's overflowing and if it if i ever take a sip here more comes it's overflowing this is this picture of abundance god wants you there and he's a providing for you abundantly and because of this because jesus is preparing a place for you Surely we can proclaim together, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We see in these things that the root of our confidence is the Lord himself. If you are not confident enough to be able to proclaim these things honestly from your heart, then perhaps it's time to re-examine what you truly think about God. Do you truly have a relationship with him? Do you believe that you have a relationship with him? Is he your shepherd? Or do you see your relationship with him differently? Do you truly believe that he is present with you? Or do you view him as distant and far off? Do you truly believe that he is preparing a place for you? Or do you view him as grudgingly waiting for you to prove your worth to him? David had confidence in God's provision. And Christian, you have all the more reason to, because Christ has come. We see more clearly how our good shepherd cares for us. Despite the hardships of life, we can see that he does provide and protect in a profound way. Christ, our shepherd, has become a lamb for us. Weak and humbled, he was perfect and spotless, the lamb who was slain. In him, we have forgiveness. In him, we have welcome with God. In this good shepherd, we, we have one who gives us true food. Not just the green pastures, but he gives us the bread of his body, which was slain for us. He doesn't just give us cool waters, but he gives us true drink 
the blood that he shed on our behalf. He doesn't just restore our souls physically and bring us to the good things, which he does now. He does that even now. But he brings us from spiritual death to spiritual life. He guides us in paths of righteousness, not just going the right way, not just making the right decisions in life, going here or there, but doing the good things that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, the righteous path, following the will of the Lord in obedience. He has walked through the valley of the shadow of death himself. He descended into the grave, and he conquered death. And he is with us. He has promised, and behold, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Every promise that we see, every confidence that we see in this passage is, is true, has always been true, but we can see its truth all the more now that Christ has come. His rod and his staff comfort us. He has conquered with his rod sin and death and hell and Satan and all the enemies that we could ever have. And with his staff, he guides us gently into eternal life. He prepares a table before our enemies. And we will be welcomed to the wedding feast of the Lamb. As the bride, in fact. He anoints our heads with oil. He welcomes us as an honored guest. Truly, in light of this, our cup overflows. It is Christ. It is in him that goodness and mercy follow us because he is with us all the days of our lives. And even in death, we cannot find despair and hopelessness because Christ is has conquered death so that we can dwell in his house forever. And so, brothers, proclaim with confidence, I will, shall not want, I will not fear any evil. For the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord God Almighty, and his Holy Spirit are with me. Pray with me. Lord, we praise you for your provision that you have become our shepherd, that you would enter into a relationship with us. Lord, we praise you because you have never left us or abandoned us. You are present with us, even in the dark, despairing, and painful places. Lord, you are there. And Lord, we praise you because you are working to prepare a place for us that we will know you and be known by you that we will be welcomed Lord lift up our spirits in praise to you reveal your beauty to our hearts that we may praise your name all the more in Christ's name Amen